Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Last night, um, Carol talked about patience. Yeah, just down a little bit. And um, it's a very important topic. And it's a lovely talk about how we can accept and allow our experience, just the ability to receive the experience. Tonight, I want to uh, talk about what I think is an important uh, next step or next aspect of the practice rather than just a, an acceptance and allowing, um, which is an essential ingredient to doing this, this meditation process. And that is the quality of faith, which fuels the process, not only allowing the moment but actively putting in the energy and the willingness to be here. It's the, it's the source of our effort. It's one of the five spiritual faculties in the Buddha's teaching. Last retreat, I gave a talk on the seven factors of enlightenment. Three of those factors are also faculties in the spiritual faculties of effort, mindfulness and concentration said that as you make the effort to be mindful the mindfulness strengthens the the strengthening of mindfulness leads to concentration and the concentration and strong mindfulness lead to wisdom the first faculty is the faculty of faith that is the needed ingredient to put in the energy and the effort to do this very challenging meditation exercise. Without it, why put yourself through this? If you said to somebody on the streets of Los Angeles, come and be silent for 10 days, watch your breath, bring your attention back, they think you're crazy. But People who've come here have some good reason for coming here, or at least they think they have a good reason before they they get here. And it gives you the inspiration to do this exercise of making the effort to be here. So I want to talk tonight about faith. And uh, as part of talking about it, it seems important to talk about the opposite of faith, which probably many of us know very well, which is doubt. Hard to give a talk about faith or to truly understand it without talking about what gets in the way and all the doubts that come up as you're doing this. It's interesting, I I thought of giving this talk um, a few days ago and Uh, the synchronicity of experience. So many people came in uh, in the last day or so with doubt as a main 
issue in their, their practice. So I thought, oh, well, this is, seems quite appropriate. Doubt is a feeling of confusion, a feeling of separateness, a feeling of aloneness, as well as uh, a lack of confidence in what you're doing. It's very debilitating. The, the image that's sometimes given is uh, stirring up mud in the bottom of a lake. and You kind of feel like you're sludging through mud when there's a lot of doubt. Is it going well? Is there clarity? Oh, the clarity left. Uh Uh-oh, what did I do wrong? Can I handle what's happening now? Oh my goodness, this is the issue that I was hoping had been done with in my life. And here it is again. Am I a good yogi? I'm not a good yogi. I know I'm not. Or... This is never going to change. I know they talk about things changing, but this one is not going to change. I know it's not. I got myself stuck for good now. Or in a, in a larger scale, is there a point to doing this? What's the point in doing this? Was this a very good idea to do this retreat? Or am I getting my money's worth? It's another doubt. <laughs> I hit a, uh, a wall in my practice at, at, at some point for a good chunk of time. It was what I call the big so what. So what? Another breath. Who cares? Another step. Big deal. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about? And when it gets into not just a small so what, but a big so what, it can be really discouraging. And you can do the practice on some automatic pilot for a while and wonder, what am I doing? What's the point of all this? What have your doubts been in the last few days, whether it's three or 13 days? What have you been dealing with lately that gets in the way of you full-heartedly giving yourself into the practice? Doubt about yourself, whether you're doing it well or you have the capacity to. Doubt about the practice, its efficacy. When we see those doubts clearly for what they are, we see they're just creations in the mind. They're empty. They're just another thought. But we somehow take them to be very real. And then we start battling them. And with that doubt and lack of faith, it just cuts through any kind of faith or inspiration we have. It's hard to keep the practice going. And we get kind of confused. And when that happens, the mindfulness starts to uh, seem to weaken. And then it creates further doubt where you're finally you're finding yourself wrestling with your mind and it's this big battle going on that you are inside taking all sides all parts and you're the referee and you're the audience and uh, and you're the loser in the in the in the fight it doesn't seem like there's any winner because the fight just keeps on going faith on the other hand is a sense of connection with the practice and a, 
a quality of feeling that there's something beyond our own drama, our own story, something beyond ourselves that has a higher intention, a higher purpose. Just tuning into the interconnectedness of experience, we don't feel quite so alone and isolated. And that experience of interconnectedness, that non-duality, is a very powerful um, source of faith in our lives. There's perhaps you you are familiar with the Third Zen Patriarch. This, um, the writings of the Third Zen Patriarch, very profound, very pithy. You know, the one that starts the Great Way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Well, the the title of the Third Zen Patriarch's um, treatise is called Verses on the Faith Mind. And it's all about non-duality, about seeing through the illusion of me trying to do anything, not to, when doubts arise, just simply say, not to, T-W-O. Not, not this too, but not too. <laughs> and the one beautiful line that, uh, that's near the end is, the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. The non-dual is one with the trusting mind. When we can see through our illusion of separation, we have that sense of deep trust and deep faith, something greater than ourselves. What is faith? Where does it come from? One aspect of it is this quality of trust or confidence in our own ability, in the process, and just having a sense that whatever is happening will work through. There is this perfect unfolding. Faith is very different from hope. I think it was Carol or somebody who talked about hope. Hope is very different from faith. When you hope things will go well, that's not faith. There's a, a line from Seneca, the, the Roman philosopher. We cease to be afraid when we cease to hope, for hope is accompanied by fear. You can hear the contraction, I hope this turns out okay. Not that it's bad that you, that you have hopes. I find myself writing letters and saying, hope you're doing well, you know, hope you're having a good day. Or, I hope this turns out okay. But it's a very different quality than faith that whatever happens is okay. So this quality of trust and confidence that's different from hope, it's a more expansive quality than the contraction of hope. Another aspect of the faith, of the quality of faith, is a, an adventurous quality, the willingness to play your edge, to take risks, to not just play it safe, but to see and explore and discover going beyond what you actually know to start to sense new edges, new frontiers of, of understanding. And that takes some courage.
it's so much easier to play it on safe territory in order to take that step to say, okay, this is something new, or I haven't faced fear like this one before. There needs to be some quality of confidence that you won't be overwhelmed as you do it. So this faith has in it an ability to venture forth and take a risk. Faith is not the same as what we think of as blind faith, where you just kind of trust and not think clearly. I mean, you can have a sense of devotion or a quality of, uh, of surrender that can be actually um, quite foolish. It needs to be tempered with wisdom. The wisdom factor balances the faith factor. There's a, a story of a monk in the Buddha's time, Vakali, who just stared at the Buddha. He was just so entranced with him, thinking, ah, this is all I need. This is all I want for my practice. And the Buddha threw him out of the order. He said, that's not what this practice is about. Don't just gaze on me or follow my, my words and believe me. Do it yourself. And so faith needs to be, or at least wise faith, needs to be tempered with the wisdom factor. The Buddha is a wonderful example of somebody with deep faith, and he's an inspiration for many of us. He had great faith in the truth, just to keep on going in the possibility of awakening. And he wouldn't stop no matter where he was comfortably finding himself in his spiritual life. When he learned everything that his teachers had to say, and they said, come, come on up here and teach with me. He said, no, there's more. There's more to learn. I know there is. I won't stop until I fully awaken. As he sat under the Bodhi tree, saying, I'll sit here until I either awaken or die. Imagine the, the quality of, of faith or determination. Nothing was going to stop him. Where do we get our faith from? Well, one place can be inspiration, like the story of the Buddha, or Jesus, or somebody who touches you with their courage, whether it's the Dalai Lama, or Thich Nhat Hanh, or Desmond Tutu, or, or somebody that you know who's gone through a hard time, who's, who's made it through even in the deepest, darkest difficulties, They've done it, and it can give you some inspiration. Okay, I'll do it too. Or maybe it's somebody who believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. You might try this as a balance to the doubting factor. When the doubting is strong and the mindfulness isn't, isn't strong enough to see through it and just name it as doubt, think of somebody who believes in you who sees what's really there inside, even when you can't. Or somebody who's inspired you by their own courage, facing difficulties as, uh, as intensely as the ones that you're encountering, and who's just done it. 
That's one source of faith. Another source is a certain kind of understanding that we can have when we reflect on the natural order of experience of life, the Dharma, taking refuge in the Dharma, this natural unfolding, having trust in the law of karma. And you might get more and more of a sense as you've done years of practice or retreats that there is this law of cause and effect at work. And when you see that, then it gives you the, the inspiration to just put in your time and do what needs to be done to develop and, and open yourself up. If there wasn't this natural unfolding, if there wasn't the law of karma, what would be the point to any action? What would be the point to practicing mindfulness if it didn't bear fruit? What would be the point to practicing kindness or generosity if there wasn't a powerful result from that? Things are not happening randomly in the universe. It is the law of cause and effect. And when you see that in deeper and deeper ways in your heart, then again, this takes you out of your own ideas of how the show is going to see something greater at work, that there's something much larger than ourselves that's keeping the show together, that brings us just what we need in this moment to wake up, that lets us encounter the Dharma and says, hey, there's something here for us to learn and to grow, that somehow you get touched in, in some way, whether you call it grace or good karma or whatever, that says, yes, there would be a point to practicing this. How does the law of karma strike you? Does it seem like there's, there's something to it? And just take that in for a moment. There's something to this. The more you practice mindfulness, the more wisdom and truth. The more you see things clearly. I mean, if you practice seeing things clearly, the more you see things clearly. And this law of karma can be just mind-boggling when you think that everything is held together in this perfect web. You know, you take one thing out of the fragility of the, the biosphere, the ecosystem, and it starts to fall apart. Or one part in our body that has some, something going wrong and starts to, to produce some chemicals or goes a little haywire, and the whole system starts to, starts to change. It is so interwoven and interdependent. Everything is fitting together so magically and so perfectly for a while until things change. And one aspect of the law of karma is that we have been given the Dharma to, to open up to and explore. My favorite line from, uh, from John Lennon, who's one of my 
my main lineage holders. So, from all you need is love. He says, there's nowhere you can be that wasn't where you were meant to be. Now just take that in for a moment. There's nowhere you can be that wasn't where you were meant to be. Who is figuring out this whole show that knows exactly where you're supposed to be? Amazing. Another source of inspiration for me for faith is understanding the law of change, anicca, impermanence. Have you seen it? Have you seen that things change? You probably have by now. How many thoughts have you had today? How many moods have you had today? Has any one of them stayed? How many sensations have you had today? Just today, just in the last hour, things change. And when you see it more and more, then you trust that each moment is a new beginning. Every single moment, this is the beginning. You don't have to carry on what's happened before. Right here, right now, ah, something new. How creative the universe is to keep providing with a new, fresh show. And with that understanding of impermanence, there's a little bit more possibility of letting go. Because when you see how quickly things change, how futile it is to hold on to anything, this is simply more suffering. How can you hold on to changing experience? And it's not easy when you're having a wonderful meditation to let go. Oh, wow, finally everything was leading up to this last sitting. And somehow then we forget that things change and we try to perhaps bargain and hold on or recreate our experience. When you truly have that understanding in that moment, there's that ability to let go gracefully. This is deep faith to know that it won't be the end. It won't be the last pleasant moment you ever experience. Others will come. And the next moment has something here for you too. This is from Ajahn Chah talking about letting go. Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect any praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace and freedom. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. Such a paradox. The more we hold on to experience, the more suffering there is the more we see the power of letting go, even when it's delicious, sweet, fantastic, ecstatic. <sighs> this is what real freedom is, not just that pleasant experience. There's something much more profound in the letting go, in the trusting. There's a quality of vision also that is part of faith. 
when I say vision, I mean something not only that acknowledges this moment, but sees the direction, the possibility of purification, of greater understanding and greater opening, of living in freedom. This is talked about in different as different parts of the, the teachings. One that Carol mentioned on the last retreat, uh, and clear comprehension, which is clear comprehension of purpose. Seeing what is your purpose, what is your direction, what is your life about, what are you trying to cultivate in your heart? When you have that bigger picture, then that vision keeps you going even when things are a little bumpy or confusing. And so you have lapses and you forget or you get caught for the hundredth time or the thousandth time. And here I am in that one, tape number 17, paranoia. And here it is again. Okay. But you know that every time you see that and understand it, you are training yourself to a whole new way of understanding and relating to who you are and what life is about. This is also talked about in one of the steps in the Eightfold Path, right aspiration, right thought, where we have a vision of what we're developing. And so we walk this path. Do you have a vision in your practice? Now, it's a tricky one because a vision can easily turn into a goal that you feel frustrated at not getting in your own timetable. So there's a way to hold a vision without feeling that you're behind schedule. Vision is there for inspiration, not for discouragement. This is from the Buddha. He says, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. <coughs> it's possible. It's not only possible sometime in the future, but right here, right now, it's possible. Have you had any moments of mindfulness today? Just one? It counts if you've just had one. Even if you haven't had one, it's okay. But if you've had one, that was a moment of freedom. That was a moment where you didn't have to get anything extra to feel more complete. You didn't have to take anything away to feel a sense of peace. That's a moment of freedom. And it is possible to have that as the way we meet any moment. Now, if you hear that, you might say, oh, wow, I wonder when I will get to the point when I never lose it, when I never forget. And again, this can be very discouraging when you compare yourself to people who you might have some notions have gotten there. And so it can be a real comfort to know that even the most wise and developed beings have their moments. Maybe the Buddha was 
uh, didn't have any moments of forgetting. And perhaps there have been some beings that have that are walking the planet that never forget. But even the greatest teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, great teachers from Advaita traditions, all the great teachers, pretty much uh, in each of the ones that I'm thinking about, have have been light with the fact that they sometimes lose it or I know that they've sometimes lost it. That quality of vision, though, can be very inspiring because you can see over time that there's been a definite development, a definite opening and strengthening of that familiarity with what real freedom is. And we touch it. We all touch it from time to time in a moment of mindfulness and perhaps even in a moment of deep understanding where our shift of perspective takes place. Something registers deeply and you say, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never quite held reality in this way before. I've never felt quite so connected or clean as I do in this moment. When those moments happen, let them register. It's okay to let them register and really acknowledge them because that fuels our faith. Yes, there's something to this. For me, when I practice, there's a, I've mentioned this before, there's a place that, that first touched a number of years ago that I touch from time to time that feels just so clean and pure and not my story in the way that it just compels me it compels me. There's, n- there's nothing quite like it that's as exciting. And it, it fuels my vision. Yes, I want to live more and more from that place. And I would guess that just about everybody here has their own new understandings that, that have come inside. Let register, honor them, acknowledge them. Because that is a great source of faith. Sometimes it's not a new understanding. Sometimes it's a reminder of a very, very old understanding that we've had when we were young. That place of purity that, that I, I mentioned is a place that I knew as a child but had forgotten many, many years ago where I just kind of felt, wow, I'm alive. How did I get into this body? What is it that's knowing that's in this body? It just kind of would turn me inside out. Sometimes what gets in the way of experiencing that naturalness, that wakefulness, that purity, is the doubt that we're not good enough, we're not worthy enough. This is a very common part of of people's practice. The worthiness issue, the self-acceptance issue. It's amazing how hard it is to accept ourselves Sometimes we can allow everything else in the universe to be as it is, but when it comes to us, we should have it more together. It's merciless when we do that. Everyone else is okay, not me. This is, uh, it's been talked about how when the Dalai Lama 
first heard about people struggling with self-acceptance, he couldn't quite understand the concept. What does that mean? You don't think you're worthy enough? I remember hearing him talk, um, give a talk, I think it was at Barry, an early three-month retreat, and somebody asked him uh, about, you know, it wasn't at Barry, it was, uh, I heard it on a tape, somebody asking him uh, about this quality of worthiness and they're working with their unworthiness and he said, it was very, very powerful as I listened to it, he said, unworthiness, a great mistake in understanding. What makes you think that everything in the universe belongs except you? That somehow you're not good enough or that you're a mistake in this, in this perfect unfolding of Dharma. Unworthiness. You're part of the universe. You've manifested or it's manifested through you. But it's so common. Even the Buddha had doubts just before his enlightenment. Or it's said is the story of Mara coming after after trying to confuse him with desire or demons that would that would try he try to muster up the fear in the Buddha so that the Buddha wouldn't re, wouldn't understand the complete truth and the very last thing that Mara said what gives you the right to think that you can sit under this tree and become enlightened and as the story goes the Buddha touched his hand to the ground and said, as the the earth is my witness for all the countless lifetimes, for all the work I've done, I have the right. Now, why would that story be there? Perhaps there was just a moment, just a moment of doubt that's spoken of as Mara coming or Jesus on the cross saying, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus and the Buddha. So if you have doubts, you know, you're in good company. <laughs> but you can see through them. It's just a thought in the mind. I remember going to this Indian teacher, uh, Punjaji, who's a wonderful teacher and I learned a lot from and I I said to him you know you talk about freedom and you talk about awakening and how do I know that it's in the cards for me he talked about grace grace I said how do I know I have enough grace and he said uh, in his inimitable way he said look you come here you come all the way across the world you sit down here, good friends, good company, deep devotion, neck deep in grace. You're neck deep in grace, don't you see? <laughs> How much more grace do you need? <laughs> and when you think about it, here we all are, neck deep in grace. <laughs> sitting here having the opportunity to come and practice good friends good guidance deep inspiration 
neck deep in grace, what makes you think you're not worthy if that thought comes to you? It's so easy to identify with our shortcomings, though, when we see them. You see your fears and you see your, uh, your anger and your judgment. And you say, oh, no, that's still there. That's me. That's who I really am. That's the core of my being. We just got to it. You know, all that other stuff, the loving kindness and the compassion, you know. Yeah, I had moments of that, but we just got to who I really am. This fearful, angry mess. Sure, that can lead to a thought of unworthiness. That's not who you really are. Why identify with that? Out of habit, that's why. But there's so much more to you. Why not see and acknowledge those moments of genuine caring, of genuine compassion, or when you hear a metta and you've been touched, or if you are out there and looking at the owls and you, you've been touched, or going walking around the desert and feel the beauty of it and feel, wow, amazing to be alive and be touched like that. Is that any less a part of you? Are we willing to let go of our self-image, which often entails this whole baggage of our story? And that, of course, doesn't mean to get rid of it and not honor our story. Our story is important on one hand, but to see much deeper that it's just our story held in a much larger picture, a much larger story. But it feels so familiar sometimes that it's it's not easy to let go of it, to give it up. There's a, a woman in the Bay Area who um, is a wonderful teacher who teaches mindfulness and, and uh, spontaneity through painting, creative process. This woman, Michelle Kasu, that some of you might have heard of. And a number of people in the Vipassana community have done this process. It's kind of like Vipassana on paper. When you just keep on putting out and not getting into the judgments and putting out and putting out and, and drawing. And she was showing this painting that she had done uh, in, in one of her, her own series of paintings and her own internal process. And in this painting, she, she had died and was down in her coffin. And in the coffin, there were maggots and worms and it was it was moist and and uh, in the middle of a coffin right? and from the coffin there was this tunnel that or this uh, this tube the cylinder that went from the coffin up to this beautiful heaven above where there was a smiling Buddha and benevolent and loving energy on on the top and she was in the coffin in the picture. And as she was describing the painting, she said, it was so interesting that I know all I have to do, all I would have to do is just decide to leave the coffin and travel up the tube up to heaven. But it was so familiar and comfortable in the coffin. You know? Even with the maggots and the worms, it seemed like a big deal to get up and move. And it was, it was a kind of um, 
poignant analogy for what we do. We're so familiar and comfortable with our story. What would it be like to let go of that and to, to entertain the possibility of something so vast that we, we might feel a little bit afraid? Can I give myself that? Faith comes from keeping on exploring our edges from learning through our own experience. Besides inspiration or trusting in others and besides having certain understandings and reasoning things through, having a reasoning of, of karma or uh, impermanence, the most powerful source of faith comes through our own experience, what's called verified experience, where we have seen for ourselves, we know the truth for ourselves. Nobody can take that away from us once we've tasted it. If the Buddha came in and said, you know, that mindfulness stuff, I was just kidding, it wouldn't matter to me. I know that mindfulness works. Think of what you've touched that you know to be true about impermanence, about karma, about the power of mindfulness, about the power of goodness and love. And with that verified experience, it gives us a bit more confidence to meet the new moment in that same way. To meet this moment with a willingness to venture and explore. Because the faith can make us, can help us take the leap to go right into the fear and the very things that we normally try to avoid. Our unpleasant experience, whether it's in our body or our hearts or our minds. There's this paradox. We think, oh no, I wouldn't want to touch that, anything but that. Have you noticed what happens when you go right into it? When you go looking for your fear? When you welcome it and bring a curiosity to it that says, okay, let's really feel this one. Let's feel the texture of it. Have you noticed what happens? It's not nearly as overwhelming or frightening as our minds think it is. That takes a lot of faith to more and more go in the direction that we usually run from. But each time we do it, we're conditioning ourselves to relate in a new way, in a different way, to the very things that we run away from. Faith is not a sense that things are going to be pleasant. Oh, this is going to be wonderful if I only have enough faith. It doesn't work that way because suffering is part of reality. It's the first noble truth. But it is a sense that we can open up to all experience. Rather than having trust in ourselves, we can trust in awareness. Just trusting in the awareness. We can take refuge in this present moment. We don't know what's going to happen ahead. But when we can see, ah, 
I can be with this moment. This is where my refuge is. This is where a place of peace is. This is where I can trust. Not in figuring out, but simply in being aware in a kind way with this moment's experience. That very powerfully fuels our practice. How we process this moment's experience determines how it will affect us if we meet it with fear it leads to confusion if we meet it with mindfulness and compassion there's another way to hold it and it also influences the future patterns when they come up when this alike situation appears again if we've practiced meeting it with some willingness to explore, with some confidence that we can open up to it and live through it, then there's a greater likelihood that we'll do that when a similar situation arises in the future. So every single moment is an opportunity, a tremendously powerful opportunity to deepen our sense of faith and trust. And if you look back over time, you get much more of a sense of how your practice is going. From sitting to sitting, you can't tell, is this, go, is this going well? Am I a good yogi? Am I getting my money's worth? Or whatever it is. But if you look over time, have you noticed things shifting in the way you relate to reality or your experience? There are things that just don't have the same kind of appeal to me now that they did 10 or 15 years ago. Perhaps you can find that true in your life. The Dalai Lama has a very good suggestion when people ask about progress in practice. He says, take a look at things over a five or 10 year chunk of period. Not what happened last week or last month. See if there's some any, any growth or development in the way you relate to life and the way you relate to yourself. And the practice is quite extraordinary. It works in ways that we can't explain. And yet, little by little, you see this development. I want to share a a card that somebody uh, sent to me uh, within this last year uh, that um, is wonderful to see. She says, uh, Dear James, it's been a very long time since I've been to your class and also since I've been sitting just on my own. And yet it is funny how much the practice has pervaded my life. Actually, sitting is only one aspect since my entire life is my practice and hard how it all has been these months, incredibly challenging and many times all but spent. But again, remembering that hard times would pass just like thoughts do I focused on God and all it led me to, and here I am, the happiest I've ever been. Meditation has brought me so much, people I used to detest and still have a hard time tolerating. I now am able to see, really see, beyond their distasteful demeanor, I now know that all these types of people are the most damaged, and I'm so grateful I've shown them kindness, compassion, and humor. And they hug me 
when they don't even allow other people to touch them. What an incredible gift to be the trusted chosen one from those who usually trust no one. Learning about their deep, deep scars only has confirmed my vow to keep being the best person I can even when I feel like punching their lights out. Mind you, I'm no saint. I've not turned into a doormat. But there's a gentle understanding I've developed that overrides the urge to lash out. It has brought tears to my heart and eyes many a time. My acceptance level of life is like at no other time. I just keep rolling along while, while doing all my footwork. So in short, I'm greatly amazed and deeply grateful. Even in every bad day, I notice the trees and flowers in the breeze waving hello to me. So my life is very blessed and abundant. Many don't know these things. Don't underestimate every day here, every moment here. It's very powerful. And wherever you draw your sense of faith from, whether it's an inspiring being, a teacher, somebody who believes in you, some understanding or reasoning that makes sense to you, or even more, your own growth, what you seem to be true, what you know, the power of this practice, the power of mindfulness, the power of being willing to open up to life. And you can call on that, just like in the beginning of the retreat when we talked about the three refuges, having refuge in the Buddha, having refuge in the Dharma, taking refuge in the Sangha. We can call on the support that we all give. We can call on the support that we can bring from inspiration and we can call on the support on the refuge that comes from this moment. It's right here to wake up to. sitting together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.